This is the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast, here to educate, inform and support general practice staff in Nottinghamshire. Get to know about those who represent you, as well as all the latest information from Notts LMC at your leisure. Tune in and subscribe to our podcast today, hosted by me, Zenaida Morrison at podbean.com. In 2018, following years of locally-led developments, NHS England named a few regions, including Nottinghamshire, as the first integrated care systems, ICSs, to work with them in pioneering best practice in the health sector. The idea being that these partnerships, consisting of primary and secondary care, local governments and other health organisations, would come together to develop joint-up community care to improve the health outcomes of people who live and work in those areas. ICSs were formally established on the 1st of July 2022, taking on the NHS funding and commissioning power of clinical commissioning groups, CCGs. So what is the current picture and how will a new primary care strategy fit into this established integrated model of care? Today, I'm joined by Dr. Kathy McLean, Chair of Nottingham and Nottinghamshire Integrated Care Board and Chair of the Integrated Care Partnership for the first episode of this two-part discussion. And for the follow-up, we'll be sitting down with other system leaders, including Dr. Stephen Short, who leads on the Integrated Primary Care Strategy. So good afternoon, Kathy. Thanks for joining us today. Afternoon. Hope your afternoon is going well so far. Thank you. Yeah. So it's been it's been quite tough, I must say, getting you on, but glad we're finally here and finally managed to to do so. So I'm going to get right into it. Um, ICSs, as mentioned earlier, were formally established as uh, as of the 1st of July this year. Um, And we are already four months into an official integrated system. Um, But as I mentioned, um, this has been an evolving picture. So just to kind of clarify that, it's it's been work in progress um, and it's been going on for much longer than the the four months that we're referring to. So what I want us to do is I want us to unpack this and unpack things a bit. But before doing that, um, just to give a brief understanding to our listeners about what an ICS um, is, its purpose, and kind of some of the acronyms that come with that. So we've got, you know, the place-based partnerships, we've got the ICB, these are, you know, integrated care board, and this is what they're going to be hearing quite frequently. So how does that all fit into the ICS and and what's the purpose? Okay, thank you. And it's good to be able to um, talk about this. So you're absolutely right that the integrated care system for Nottingham and Nottinghamshire has been in development and working uh, as a series of partners across uh, our whole system for many years now actually Uh, and in as you say in 2018 was designated as an integrated care system. Um, What happened uh, after that was that there was a development which led up to the 1st of July in which there was legislation brought in which created um, a new body called the Integrated Care Board and uh, clinical commissioning groups ceased to exist. So if you like, 
the easiest way to think about that is that is the the people who worked within the CCG kind of moved into the integrated care board. In the right. integrated care board, the ICB is an interesting thing because um, it is also uh, it's the name of the body, it's the name of the whole organisation, but also the name of the board that leads it. So it is an integrated care board which has an ICB board, if you like. So uh, it's worth just sort of keeping that in mind, but also to, to recognise that the system, which in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire covers 1.2 million people, includes all the partners. So it includes the two local authorities, the hospitals, the mental health trust, the community enterprise, um, and also involves the uh, people from working in the voluntary sector, uh, and many others. So we see ourselves as uh, a family of organisations and a right. family of, uh, uh, of people, including, of course, community, as I say, but primary care within that. So worth thinking about, when we talk about ICS, it's not the ICB. The ICB is one organisation within that wider system. Right. And as you've alluded to, there are other parts of it. So um, we have uh, place-based partnerships, of which we have four in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire, Bassett Law, uh, Mid-Knots, yep. South Knots, and City. So uh, those are important parts of our system. And then we have 23 primary care networks, which fit within those um, place-based partnerships. And I talk about uh, an inverted pyramid in which the integrated care board and I haven't mentioned the integrated care partnerships, sit at the bottom at the pointy end. And the populations at the top with the place-based partnerships and the PCNs in between doing all the, all the change that, that we're going to need. In terms of the purpose of the, um, of the integrated care system, uh, we have four key aims, and it's worth me just mentioning those just now. The first is to improve outcomes um, for health, uh, and uh, outcomes for the population. That's the first one. The second is to reduce inequalities. And we have a lot of those across our patch. Um, we've got some huge variation in, in uh, outcomes. So we want to reduce those. The third is we need to be sustainable financially. And that's mm -hmm. an important aim for us. We have a uh, a huge budget across Nottingham and Nottinghamshire, about three billion pounds between health and social care. And the fourth is we want to make a, a contribution to the wider socioeconomic landscape. And we employ um, 35,000 people across health and social care. So we can have a huge impact in terms of employment and contribution to business and so on. So that's that's in a as a starting point. Uh, yeah. basically what we are and, and what our basic aims are and yeah. how we're kind of structured. Yeah, so that, that's a beautiful summary. Thank you, Cathy, um, and very informative, actually. Um, and uh, you, you, you did mention the, the fuller stock take there, um, which I will come back to, um, actually, just to get a little bit more of insight into uh, the inverted pyramid. But um, like you mentioned, the ICB, it's 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 an entity within the ICS. So uh, that that's that's the entity that is taken over from the CCG uh, or the or, or assuming the responsibility of the CCG. Um how different how uh, are you able to elaborate on kind of you know how how different mm. uh you, you feel that it will be um, yes. in comparison yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. So um, there's a, it's different in a number of ways. And I'll start with actually the leadership of the Integrated Care Board is, is very different from, say, the board of a, a hospital or the previous clinical commissioning group. Um, so there are executives. And, and of course, for us, we have Amanda Sullivan is our chief executive. And then there's a number of uh, executive roles, perhaps from the point of view of general practice and primary care. Dave Briggs, uh, the medical director, is, a, is an important uh, person within that. But we've got other other roles. Yeah. And then there's also non-executive directors, which you would find on a hospital trust board. And these are people who are independently holding to account and ensuring that we're delivering on our strategy and on our uh, aims overall. And then interestingly, and quite different from a, a hospital or other similar board, is we have partner members. And this is, this is uh, where we've got partner members from our two local councils. We've got a partner member bringing the perceptions and the, and the concepts from uh, an acute hospital. And we've got one for mental health. But really importantly, we've also got uh, somebody from primary care. We have uh, Kelvin Lim, who's uh, our, our partner member from primary care. So that, that makes up the board, which is quite quite different quite from uh, yeah. an ordinary board. So it's really important to have those voices there. In mm -hmm. terms of what it will be doing is, I think we're moving very much away from a focus on commissioning and contracting. That's now moved to the side. There's a bit of contracting and so that obviously has to happen. Um, but really the focus is on how we, how we provide care for the whole population and okay. how we make those changes that I alluded to through our aims. So it, it will be, um, you know, supporting people absolutely at the front line in the place-based partnerships, very much a, a focus on locality, community. It's yes. very different in different parts of the system. I went to the Mary Potter Centre recently, which was obviously, you know, in, in one of our more deprived and very diverse areas. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that they're having to practice in general practice areas is quite different, say, from uh, in Rushcliffe or some of the others. You know, today I've been to um, Bassett Law uh, yeah. to see how they're working there with, uh, you know, with the local communities. Again, different, a lot of rurality. So we do have to ensure we're providing that support to the different uh, different areas, depending on on you know the the community that's actually living there and the conditions in which they yeah. find themselves. Specific health inequalities within those areas. No, that's okay. that's great. Um, and and once again, we'll touch on that as well. But, but backtracking to the the fuller stock tape report, which you know was published in May um of this year in twenty twenty two, on the next steps for kind of integrated care, and that was the purpose of it. So. What came out of that is that it highlighted the importance of pivoting away from, you know, the hierarchical kind of top-down directives uh, to create an environment that supports local change. So, you know, this is perhaps one of your, you, you know, your greatest challenges. What does this look like on the ground currently? Yes. So, interesting, the fuller stock take um, fits quite well with the um, philosophy that we have in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire, mm -hmm. which is very much to um, enable um, the frontline and the local communities, not just working in, in primary care, but working with 
other partners at a local level. Um, so I think that our job and my job as chair of the Integrated Care Board and Amanda's job as the chief exec is to ensure we've put in place the things that will enable and support, but actually um, give, in some ways, give, give uh, maybe not freedom, but, but actually ensure we don't get in the way. Um, but we also listen to people at the front line to say, what are you going to, what do you need in order to achieve the things set out? both in the fullest uptake, but also in our own aims. So how are you going to tackle those inequalities? There's a huge amount in that document about mm -hmm. inequalities. Um, and it's not going to happen by a top-down edict. It's not, going to, it's not going to be us telling people what to do, but we do need to listen and right. facilitate and support those local discussions. And then where resources need to be um, you know, moved about, we need to have some really... Uh, really good conversations about how we do that and make sure that we get the resource to the places that need it the most. There are some challenges with that and we have to do it in a legal way. But I think that's going to be one of the, the things we have an opportunity to do. It's interesting just to hear the idea and the perspective of how you want to kind of implement this kind of integrated care. And, and it's about going to the practices and, and kind of getting a sense and listening to them and finding out what the actual issues are on the ground. And I think that's really a good approach um, and way to take things. You had mentioned and you just spoke of um, some practices that you, you visited a practice in Heisen Green. Uh, you also visited a practice at um, Bassett Law. Um, I know you did mention this actually at our most recent AGM um, mm. and award ceremony in September that that was the intention that you wanted to kind of, you know, go to the grassroots, speak to practices, you know, look at their teams, look at some, you know, some of the health inequalities within that area. Um, is there, is there a means of using the ICS uh, system leaders yourselves to lobby for support and influence national direction? Um, well, look, of course we have, you know, I am very keen to get out actually. I'll just come back to that and, and visit practices as time allows is uh, because actually you only really get a flavour of, of what it's like and bring it alive by meeting the people who are actually you know, in that particular area and dealing with those patients on a, on a, a daily, weekly basis. Um, but there's always, there's always potential for influencing at a, a regional and national level. And I'm part of many, many groups um, which have those conversations. And I think we all feed in our thoughts um, uh, you know, so that we can actually improve together and also really importantly learn from each other. I mean, there's some fantastic stuff going on in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire, and I'm very keen that it's brought to the service and given more national airtime, but there's also mm -hmm. some great stuff going on elsewhere. So uh, I'm, I am in a lot of those um, national discussions uh, and, you know, aim to try and influence as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um... This might be a, 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 um, a question that will be best suited um, in our next episode, probably something, you know, put to, to Dr. Stephen Short, but um, it would be interesting to get your perspective on this and in that there may be GPs that may be looking at this as a, a, another reorganisation of, of sorts that government are implementing for the sake of it and how how do you intend to go about assuring them so to speak that that is not the case 
Yeah, and I think it's a really good question. Um, I mean, I've probably lived through as many of these changes as anyone else in the NHS um, over nearly 40 years. So I think the, the key things for me are that we actually focus on the outcomes and the changes for our population directly. And that, you know, the way I look at it, if you're a, if you're a member of the public or you're a, a patient, you're probably not that interested in who's providing what service. What you want to know is that it's you can access it, um, that you'll be treated with respect, you won't have to keep repeating your story and it will all run smoothly through whatever course of journey that you need in order to get treated and and out the other end and you're followed up appropriately so all of that is really really important and I think we can only really do that when we work at a very local level because it's increasingly clear to me as I go around uh, that we need to listen to our uh, communities and we had a big event in um uh, yesterday, in which we had a, a room full of people, our assembly met for the first time to talk about the priorities for our integrated care partnership uh, strategy, the strategy that that, that that group has to produce. And it was um, fantastic to hear from people um, out in the, you know, out in the, the, the population and in the voluntary sector and everything. And it was quite surprising in some instances, things that we thought would be priorities were not priorities, but other things were our priorities. So okay. unless we listen, uh, and that's going to be more important than the structure. I, I want the structure to fade from people's minds and actually think about, you know, how are we working collaboratively together in order to make a difference? And we'll measure our success on, on those measurable things. We'll agree the things we want to measure and we'll agree with people the things they will find valuable. So that's going to be infinitely more important. We have a one chance of integrating. This never happened before. And if we don't, if we don't make a, something of it, we've lost that once in a, a lifetime, once in a more than a generation. This is several generations opportunity. Right. And obviously, you know, because of that, it needs to be done carefully and it needs to be done uh going to the grassroots and, and, and getting those real experiences um, yes. to make sure they're getting what they actually need. Um, you know, and sp speaking of that, I think PCNs probably would, you know, play a very pivotal role uh, in, in that integration. Um, so, I mean, when, when we're just looking at infrastructure and we're looking at, you know, su support for neighbourhood teams um, and what that looks like, how, how are PCNs and clinical leaders being supported um, and how are they kind of helping this integrated vision? Yeah, so I think that the PCNs are a really, really key um, element in this, key building block, really. And I know that we've got really good um, clinical leaders within our 23 PCNs, and I've been talking uh, about how I can come and, and visit. I know they come together and so on. And we have deployed, in fact, over quite some time now, before July, well before July, um, people from the CCG as was and now from the Integrated Care Board into PCNs to actually support, into the place-based partnerships, but with a particular focus on supporting the development of the PCNs. And I think we now need to move much further on, on all of this so that we really, really do develop people and give them that space in order to do 
the things that they need to do. And I'm hearing, starting to hear of really good things that are happening. But again, I'm, I'm very keen to meet people who are working across the PCNs. Uh, and so we'll be we'll be hoping to do that in in uh, you know in the next few months. Okay, so that that's kind of like on the agenda for. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Having said that, a recent health and social care committee report um, was published uh, once again highlighting issues within general practice including you know the issue of retention we've lost over 1,800 full-time equivalent GP since 2015 so that's that's major and it's not showing any kind of sign of slowing down Um, how are you how would you say you are tackling the issue of workforce and the issue of retention and development of primary care staff through training and supervision. So one of the things I said very shortly after I arrived um, in in my role as chair was that I wanted to make primary care in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire the most attractive anywhere in the country. Um, And and we recognise these figures are a fact that um, people have been GPs and uh, others have been leaving primary care, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps retiring a little earlier than they might have done. You know, the last two and a half years have been particularly stressful um, and the pressures seem to be, you know, just huge on, on primary care. I completely recognise that. Um, so we've got to develop a workforce plan, a single one workforce for our system. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, we need to be um, you know, developing the uh, roles within primary care, not just GPs, of course, but other roles. Um, but also we need to make it a good place to work. And this is part of the primary care strategy, which, again, I asked that we did this early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure you want to ask something about that, but you also want to ask Stephen about that because he's, he's our lead on that, but he's engaging many, many others. So I think there's something about how do, how do we give people that hope that it will be different and better? How do we help retain them? How do we ensure that people can work as flexibly as possible to fit in with, with what they need from their own lives and so on? Um, but we also need to think about what's the role of the wider team within primary care? I mean, it's already a, you know plenty of different people different yeah. roles within primary yeah. care but how can we how can we draw on that even more and if you like use our uh, really important resource of, of highly trained general practitioners to do the things that they are most uh, able to do um, and, and bring the greatest value so I think there's a lot to be done on this area but it is certainly one of great focus I certainly believe that general practice and primary care are the backbone of our healthcare system Okay. And if we didn't have it functioning well, I think the rest of the system simply just wouldn't function at all. I think it would it would just kind of fall over, to be perfectly honest. There was, and this is you know past previous, should I say, um, uh, health health uh, secretary um, in government uh, made a relatively naive call to action uh, for all GPs to ensure that patients receive an an appointment within a two week uh, frame of request. Um, So, you know, provided provided zero public context um, in the face of a lot of judgment uh, being targeted towards GPs, uh, when we actually know that they're under-resourced and and there's 
you know, lack of workforce um, amongst other things and underfunded. So, I mean, just concerning GP access, what does the ICS expect from practices? Well, I think I would turn that slightly around just to say, you know, if 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 oneself or um, family members or people you know need access to general practice or primary care uh, for jolly good reasons, you know, they, they've got things that they need sorting out. We would all hope and uh, and wish that that would be timely and and quickly. And I think I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. That is just. So whether you put a, a particular time frame on it or not, um, I, I think it's more about, you know, you, you want to be able to pick up the phone, make an appointment and get seen. There's no question of that. Mm-hmm. So I think what our job together is to work through. So what what is needed to make that so? What do we need to do together to make it possible that, that patients have that sense of, yes, as, when I'm unwell, when I need something doing or, or talking to a GP, uh, I can do that. Um, but there's also a bit, I think, about changing the way people see primary care. Um, you know, it's very interesting. I recently had a, a, a text from my own practice, not in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire, but in, in, in another place, um, which asked me to, to, you know, what would I like from if they're extending the hours and so on? Mm-hmm. And of course, and did I want telephone? Did I want face to face? Well, I was perfectly happy with a half seven in the morning on the telephone. Now that just happens to be me. Somebody right. else might want something different. Um, but it kind of depends a little bit on what your personal needs are. So yeah. I, I think it's more about us thinking what standards do we want to set um, for our populations and it might be slightly different mm-hmm. in the different parts of Nottingham and Nottinghamshire and my suspicion is it is slightly different but only the GPs at the front line are going to know that they'll know their their um, lists very well they'll know the people that they've met one GP I was talking to today you know he says he's on his third generation of, of people he's brought up you know if you like <laughs> he's looked after them and then their children and now the grandchildren oh, wow. so that's that's fantastic and when you know in that sort of depth you understand what they need so I'm less worried about you know setting a a, a national you know a, a, a target if you like as, but more about what do our patients need here in yes. Nottingham and Nottinghamshire and I think that's what's that, that's actually key Kathy in that um you're you're right a lot of GPs are familiar with their patients they are caregivers to their patients and they care deeply for them so they do know what their needs are. That call to action was creating a narrative whereby if a patient calls and, you know, they're assessed and they're given an appointment, a specific appointment, that they might start to kind of, you know, insist that, you know, it's either face to face or it's it's with a, a GP specifically, whereas that might not be the need for that specific patient and that kind of, um, that, that stops other patients who desperately need a face-to-face appointment or need mm. a face-to-face appointment with a GP. It stops them from having that. So it was about putting that into context. So I think you're right in that the approach is really about how GPs are assessing their, their patients um, and, and thus giving them the appointment accordingly. Um, and, and a lot of the time GPs already know their patients. Yes. Know what it's, they need. It's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's, the, it's the GPs 
can tailor that. And, and I think trust is very important as well. I mean, uh, I, I know it's different in some parts from others. So somewhere it could be a very stable population, a stable set of general practice. And, and so they will know people for generations. There'll be other bits where it's a much younger population, perhaps, perhaps a lot of movement in and out, and perhaps the GPs also change quite quickly. So how do you how do you create that um, trusted scenario where, where right. people believe what they need? So I think every bit, every tiny corner of, of our of our system is going to be different. And I think once we get that into our uh, DNA, if you like, once we really, really embrace that, I think we we can really support that local change uh, in different ways. And it doesn't mean that one thing is absolutely right and fixed for everybody, but everybody's outcomes hopefully will be lifted up and and improved. Right. And I mean, so on that point, like resourcing atypical practices, um, how how are you looking at that, particularly in areas of, of high deprivation? Yes, so I think this is one of the most, um, I've sort of vaguely touched on it a little earlier, but you're, you're right to come back to this. It's, I think this is going to be one of those things where we potentially can make a big difference. Um, and we're going to have to work this through. Um, I've had, you know, been involved in some discussions already in, in some instances where, you know, this is potentially something we, we need to do. And so we have to think about how do we provide equity we're talking about equity uh, not just you know health inequalities but a principle of equity across mm-hmm. our system and that might be that might mean we have to to shift those resources because i can see that it would be harder to provide really high quality medical care in an area where actually you know your population is so concerned about whether or not they've got somewhere to live, somewhere to work, right. uh, good education, something to eat, keep warm, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the hierarchy of things and needs, that's probably going to come well ahead of, you know, am I looking after my diabetes, for example? Whereas right. someone who's got all of those things sorted out can give a great deal of attention to their diabetes. In fact, they may be able to avoid having it altogether. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a real challenge for us. And I think we're only just on that journey. So I can't say, yes, we've solved it. But I think it is a genuine thing that we we talk about that we're going to have some challenging conversations. And that's, again, I've used the word trust already. That's going to be something where as leaders, uh, and when I say as leaders, I mean local leaders as well as system leaders, mm-hmm. we're going to have to trust each other and keep our population at the heart of it. Uh, and I think there'll be some... I think there'll be some really challenging conversations we need to have. No, indeed. I mean, you know, there's, there's that's a, it's a two part thing, really, in that yes, it's it's about the local leaders, system leaders coming together and having that building that legitimacy amongst each other, building that trust. It's it's imperative, um, and it's really kind of the only way forward. But then equally, there's the other side of how the system works at scale, works collectively um, to kind of help patients to understand the wider kind of healthcare teams and and how they work and how they support patient care, because this is something that is in in the national media. Um, GPs are particularly getting the short end of the stick in terms of the crisis that general practice is facing. Um, And patients are none the wiser. So, I mean, how do you think we can work, system, Mm. system can work together to, at scale, 
to tackle that. And really, because we're not just looking at the issue of workforce and retention, we're also looking at the mental health aspect of things um, and supporting GPs in that regard and their well-being uh, to to make sure that we can retain our current staff. Yes, absolutely. So, yes, so looking after our people, our, our, our staff, our GPs, our, our primary care teams is absolutely crucial. Um, there's been a great deal of focus on health and well-being for staff within acute trusts, for example, uh, in recent times. And I think we need to be absolutely focused on that within primary care. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the population, I think that there is, uh, and in fact, we're, we're sort of doing starting some work on this. You're quite right. I think I've had this theory for a long time that, that, that the population, and it is and it, I am being quite broad brush on this, but just go with it. Um, I think that they're well aware of a, a small number of things and they get stuck with them. So I think people understand on on average, I think they understand that there's a GP and they understand what roughly that means is, is, is a GP. They understand what a hospital is and a hospital bed. They understand 999 and they're starting to understand probably 111. 111, yeah. Mm-hmm. But... There isn't a lot beyond that that I think really sticks in people's minds who are not embedded in the health system and health service and haven't worked in it for all the time that some of us have. Um, And I think we've got a lot to do to try probably both locally and at a wider scale, help people understand that this is a health and, and social care are changing and that they offer will be given differently in some instances. It doesn't mean it's worse. It it might mean it's actually more effective. It might be more rapid and so on. But I think we've got a job to do to communicate. And we can build on some of the communication things that happened. uh, And indeed, some of it's going on, but in particular happened during the pandemic around vaccination. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot was learned about that. And a lot was learned uh, learned about the... the the very local populations that you had to get to. And don't forget, we've got people who speak many different languages across Nottingham and Nottinghamshire. We have people from different cultures uh, for whom their approach to healthcare might be different because that's what they've been used to. So we need to recognise all of those things. But I think this is a job for um, the system to think, you know, for the integrated care board, perhaps to take this on itself, really, mm-hmm. about how do we communicate to help make the job of GPs easier, actually, um, because if, if people know how to access the systems properly uh, and the, the different ways that they can be accessed, I'm, right. I'm sure that would be helpful. And I mean, there's also, you know, even when we look at things like the um, ARS, uh, um, uh, additional reimbursement um roles and how we communicate kind of the different roles within general practice um in and of itself and then of course you know social prescribing and the different I mean I guess how how do do you have any thoughts on how you know you intend to engage the public about all of those different uh, you know so I'm about to have some conversations with people about exactly this kind of kind of thing. Um, but you know, in principle, I think that the use of case studies, the description of so that people can recognise that this could have been them, you know, and they can yeah. see how it would work through the system. I, th- I think 
you know, if we talk at a level we use, you've just used an acronym that you've explained there, ARS, for example, are we mm -hmm. ICBs and ICPs and everything? And this this is not helpful language for the um for the average member of the population. It'd be like plunging me into a law firm. I wouldn't understand the acronyms. I wouldn't have a clue. Um, why should we expect anybody to understand those? So I think using real life examples, uh, anonymized, if you like, um, I think is, is is helpful so that, and also giving people, you know, you know, if this happens, you could do that. You have a choice. You could do the following things. Um, I think we have a lot of work to do on this. I think uh, I think we're not communicating with our population as yeah. as well as we could do. We're not helping them to help themselves, if you like. Yes, and I think that is actually um, that is the key. How do we help them to help themselves? How do we empower them uh, uh, to help their themselves and their health? Um, before we end, uh, it's been a really interesting um discussion Kathy but I do want to know how do you expect or hope the system will look like in five years time from now yeah so that's a really good question and one that I I I, I reflect on from time to time obviously so um I would like to think that in five years time we will have made significant tangible progress on integrating services that currently are fragmented so that we're able to uh, you know survey people or inquire of them how was your journey and that they're able to tell us yes this was actually an easy journey it went through very simply so i think there's that's one of the things secondly i think that by five years i would expect to see some measurable improvement in outcomes and a real sign that we are starting to impact on those inequalities of outcomes mm -hmm. um, for our population. Yes, we may not by then be able to show that the disp disparity and the difference in healthy life expectancy is changing. You know, I'm not expert enough to know how long that's going to take, but we could, I am absolutely certain, have a whole range of things which we can measure that say, we can see that in another five years, we will have impacted on that. Or we've reduced the number of people who have to go to the emergency departments, A, because they, they, they'd become unwell when they shouldn't have done, or B, because you know they didn't know where else to go. Um, so those are just a flavor of things, but I think the wider piece I would like to believe that will be in in five years time is far more seamless across mm -hmm. health and social care and the wider determinants of health um you know there are examples where we're really starting to do significant work on that in our system okay uh, yeah i can give you examples but it's so i think that at five years we expect to see that it's a lot better than now it will be in terms of the longer journey quite a short time um, because this is a, a journey that's going to take years and years, but I think we should have some tangible uh, benefits. And in terms of primary care, mm -hmm. I would hope that um, you know we are starting to realise the 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 uh, elements within either the fuller stop take or our primary care strategy, so that you know people are wanting to come and work here. They. GPs do feel that it's a, a rewarding job that they can manage, that it's not taking over their lives right. uh, and that they have got, you know, the support around them to make it once again, you know, a, a truly enjoyable and fulfilling 
career, which it absolutely is. Right. And and so, Kathy, how how will that you know, like you said, your expectations within a five year time frame? How will you break that into well, not just the actions but the outcomes? How how will you be communicating that with practices on the ground? So one of the things we're doing at the moment, and we have a very tight time frame on this, is is developing our integrated care um, strategy, mm-hmm. and this will prioritise some of the things that uh, you know emerge from the health and well-being strategies for our two councils um but also from you know other things that we need to do um and that will of course get communicated but what we will also what we are also doing yeah. is looking again at our outcomes framework to say so what are those key measurables that we will be expecting to see different and then back to the communication we will need to communicate with all all partners, including obviously primary care. And some of that can be done through the primary care networks, of course, so that, you know, we're having those discussions. And one, and turning that round, I am hoping that primary care networks and the places, the four places, are going to say what their contribution is going to be to delivering that strategy. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, what, what can you do to, yeah. help, to help overall? And what can we do to help you help? Yeah, I think it's all hands on deck, really. And, uh, and we, prob- we probably will go uh, into more depth uh, with uh, Do- Dr. Stephen Short and, and possibly Dr. Dave Briggs in, in the follow up episode. Um, but thank you once again for joining us today, Kathy. Um, it's been really insightful, great conversation. Before we kind of wrap up, are there any upcoming developments that you'd like to make practices aware of? Um, And how can practices reach you if they have any questions, suggestions as far as uh, the ICS is concerned? Um, Well, I think one of the the key developments is the strategy. As I say, we had a big event yesterday and uh, uh, discussing this with people. So I think watch out for that. But in terms of getting in touch with me, yes, you can... um, well, you can email me. That's entirely uh, acceptable, and and I'm quite good at that. Um, but also, you can use your clinical leads in your uh, primary care networks, um, because again, that would filter it through a smaller number of people, uh, and so on. But I'm always keen to hear feedback. I'm always keen if you if you have ideas of you know you're doing something great, you'd like me to come and have a look at it. Please let me know. Or if you're feeling you know it's really really challenging. Uh, again, I'm I'm happy to sort of map that into the program of of, of visits and so on. So, yeah, just a two way dialogue. Um, yes. I'm, I'm very very happy with that. I think that's great. Thanks, Kathy, and I'll probably be putting your details into the show notes. So, for any of you who want to get in touch with uh, Dr. Kathy McLean, um, that will be possible. You'll be able to get in touch with her via email, and um, she'll definitely be responding to your emails in due course. So that's it for today. If you wish to listen to this or any of our other episodes, be sure to head over to Podbean, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. We are streaming on all platforms. Um, Of course, we are always here. If you have any concerns, questions, or suggestions you'd like to make to the LMC, just drop us an email at office at notslmc.co.uk or liaison at notslmc.co.uk. Alternatively, you can call us on 0115-977-1341. This is the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast, and I'm your host, Zenaida Morrison, and it's been a pleasure. Bye for now. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast for subsequent episodes with me, Zenaida Morrison, at podbean.com. Bye for now.